Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hi everyone, Connor Boyle here. Just a reminder, you can take your Intelligence Squared experience deeper with Intelligence Squared Premium. You'll get an ad-free feed, one early episode per week, two bonus episodes per month, discounts on Intelligence Squared Plus, priority access to our live in-person events, and access to our premium monthly newsletter. Sign up at iq2premium.supercast.com. Thanks for all your support. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. I'm Connor Boyle. It's the Sunday debate, and this week we're looking at the issue of decolonization. Our host for this discussion is Yasmin Abdel Majid, the Sudanese Australian writer and award winning social advocate. Let's hear from Yasmin now. Colonialism is neither as powerful nor as profound in its impact as our decolonizers proclaim. Now, if that statement made you stop and think twice, you're not the only one. And that's exactly what Professor Olufemi Tawu intended when he wrote it in his new book, Against Decolonization, Taking African Agency Seriously. By the start of the 19th century, almost all of Africa had been colonized by a small number of European states, which controlled its people and its natural resources. A hundred years later, these countries have gained independence from colonial rule, but are still navigating how to move forward. And while power may have been returned, scholars have argued that Africa's linguistic diversity, as well as philosophical and academic influence, have been eroded by imperial powers. Meanwhile, key systems across Africa, including governance and healthcare to this day, carry colonial influence. Today, decolonization is spoken of as the rightful return of things to the way they once were, and the removal of all traces of colonial rule. But is this necessarily the best way to move forward? To delve into this complex polemic, I'm now joined by Olufemi Taibu, Professor of African Political Thought at Cornell, and Dipo Salayun, a senior editor at Vice News and author of Africa is Not a Country, Breaking Stereotypes of Modern Africa. Olufemi and Dipo, welcome to Intelligence Squared. Now, I want to start by asking both my guests, what does decolonization mean to you today? And Dipo, I might start with you. Hi, Edmund, and thank you so much for having me here today. I think it fits a number of, of different, a number of sort of different definitions. For me personally, decolonization is about trying to reckon with a more accurate telling of Africa's history. I think often what we've done is we've relied on an inaccurate description that, that tends to confuse the relationship between the West and Africa and the 
responsibility that African countries have for the realities that they face today and, and the sort of the foundations they were given at independence. And so decolonizing for me is just about trying to shift the narrative towards reality in a way that our history, often, which is taught, you know, across the West and within many African countries as well, is often taught in a way doesn't actually reckon with the realities of what colonialism meant and brought to the region. Mm, so for you, decolonization is about challenging the narrative that currently exists. Sammy, would you agree? You have quite a different view. Of, you call it the decolonization trope or ideology. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't agree. Uh, as I said in the book, uh, what Dipo just said has been done. It's been done. And the people who are doing it best don't even think of it as decolonizing because they don't think it's attached uh, to the whole emergence of African history as a discipline professionally was the beginning of that for Kenneth Dickey at uh, uh, Cambridge University, if my memory serves me correctly. And a whole lot of what people were doing in the 60s, which people now want to dismiss as nationalist historiography, of which the Baden School of Historiography is the most famous, you know, was precisely uh, retelling Africa's story in ways that was truer to how things really happened. And this was way beyond independence, and they were not calling it decolonization. Through all that time, decolonization is what I've identified in the book as decolonization one, which was the struggle for independence. And my argument is we are best living the idea of decolonization to that particular meaning. When we take decolonization into the cultural, the political sphere, <laughs> such that we look at various artifacts, and we want to say that if they look like anything that happened under colonialism, they are still under the influence of colonialism, I think that's historically false. And that's where I think that confusion gets introduced into the discussion. So something you've just spoken to me there, I'm, we're going to come back to, which is, I think this, what you argue is a conflation between colonialism and modernity, which I think is quite interesting. And, and we'll tease that out a little bit. But Dippo, I'm curious to, to hear you respond to that, because what I hear Femi saying is that, you know, that conversation has happened and it doesn't need to be called decolonization. Would you, what's your kind of take on that? Uh, I mean, there are two parts to that. Firstly, certainly, you know, I'm not the first person to try what we have have had over the last many decades is a rejection of a proper understanding of, of Africa's uh, history. You know, we see it in the way the continent continues to be depicted in popular culture through charity campaigns. We see it in the curriculums that are taught across the West. Since my book's been published, I've been lucky enough to go to schools and speak to teachers. Um, and, you know, they universally tell me the same thing, that so much of the continent's history just isn't being taught to, to young people. The realities of empire are not being taught. And so I do kind of understand uh, where Femi's coming from when he talks about uh, the importance of language and and, and you know whether the phrase decolonization is the most useful phrase in this in this context but you know what i think that the phrase itself has been co-opted to mean you know the removal of the traditional colonialist footprint on a multitude of things whether it's education um whether it's history you know what, whatever that might be and 
it is that colonial imprint that we still have. We see it in Nigeria, for example, in the way in which certain language is taught and, and the way schools treat what they call the vernacular, which is, you know, traditional languages and accent. And, and that is a that is something that has come from the colonial imprint. And I think that addressing that directly is not to say that, oh, every single aspect of colonialism needs to be stripped from African countries, but it's to say that there are still hugely impactful uh, remnants of colonialism that it would be important for us to address head on. And, you know, I, I wish a lot of this had been in the dealt with a long time ago, but unfortunately, it's still something that needs to be taught and addressed. Semi, I want you to respond to that, because I think one of the things that you talk about in your work is is saying that the decolonizers, quote unquote, want to, you know, as Dippo was just saying, want to, to differentiate between or, or to be able to point to the imprint of the negative impact of colonialism, more specifically. And you kind of argue, well, actually, just because something comes from the colonial era, that doesn't necessarily, A, mean that the colonizers are responsible for it, and B, doesn't mean that it should be removed. Is that a correct articulation of your argument? And so how do you respond to people saying, well, actually, we should be able to differentiate and give these things equal importance, or, or how should we go about doing that? Uh, two things. Uh, first, people need to get their history right, but even more important, they need to get their causalities right. And I'm coming from philosophy, okay? The fact that you find something post-independence that bears the marks of what happened under colonialism does not mean that you can explain its continuing presence only by colonialism, <laughs> okay? It may be due to inertia. People don't think about that, okay? It may be due to a conscious choice that the ex-colonized have made to keep that particular thing, you know, as part of their own heritage now. And the reason why what I just said becomes very, very important is that a lot of the decolonizing discourse awards to Europe victories that it never managed to garner, even while it ruled in Africa. So people then say that liberal representative democracy is a Western contraption. No, they're wrong. It's not. People then say modernity, and this is part of my own frustration as a scholar. I published a book 12 years ago, which challenged the orientation that modernity came to Africa through colonialism. I argued the exact opposite, and I said, especially in West Africa, modernity came to Africa through Christianity. And when colonialism came, it preempted the transition to modernity that Africans in that part of the world had begun to put in place. Dipper, what is your, I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump in. What is your response to, to, to what Femi is saying at the moment? Like, is that what you're arguing? What's your take? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think it's important to recognize that there's certainly plenty of agency within the region. And it's not to say that, that the West still have control over the region. We're, we're talking about the remnants of, of something that ended, you know, the impact and the reality of colonialism it still plays a huge part in the way in the early lives of these countries. And so it, it's not to say that African countries do not have any agency of their own or they have no ability to build their own states, that they're, they're simply helpless to colonialism. It's, it's to 
try and acknowledge the realities of colonialism to, to, to try and understand what cards these countries were dealt with at independence and the challenges that they face responding to that and building their new nations. You know, we, we speak of modernity and I, I agree, you know, there is a lot of myths that were entangled with, you know, what the colonizers brought and what they found when they arrived. And, you know, I totally agree to that. That's one of the myths that continue to be pushed upon the region. And I think the people I speak to and I think the vast majority of people in the who push for whether it's decolonizing our curriculums or you know decolonizing culture is 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 not to completely strip every single aspect of Western culture on you know out of after Africa, but instead it's to try and say here are the negative impacts that colonialism had here are, here are opportunities where people can can build something positive off of it. But I think it's important to remember that at the end of the day, colonialism was an incredible crime committed upon the continent. It had a hugely, hugely negative impacts on the region. And a lot of the, the positives that we've seen since then are the work of, of Africans in the region who have done an incredible job building these new nations. And so I think that, I think that accuracy is really important when we, when we talk about colonialism. And, and speaking of accuracy, I mean, could I hear from both of you on the difference between talking about decolonization in a previously colonized country, say, you know, South Africa or Nigeria or, or my own Sudan, or the colonizer itself talking about, say, what it is to decolonize the education, for example, in Britain or in France or in, in things like that? Like, how do you think about the process or or the use of the word decolonizing in those different contexts? Um, I, I think there is, from my research, I see a lot of crossover between the two. And I think, you know, language, it's important that we are, we are clear, you know, I look when it, when it comes to um, in Nigeria, for example, and the history that's taught in schools, you know, there is still certain aspects of history that is not being taught accurately enough. And, and you see those similar trends here. And, and some of that is just due the time since independence up until now. And, you know, as, as Femi said, a lot, a lot of that is decisions that have been made by, by the Nigerian government and by education ministers since then that are certainly the decisions of Nigerians. And, and I think well, these discussions, it's not necessarily to put blame on any one person or anything. It's to say, you know, this is the reality of what has happened. And it's that reality that often isn't taught. But, you know, this reality of what's happened, based on that reality, here's how we can move forward. And so I think often when people talk about, you know, talk negatively about sort of decolonization, they, they think that people are stuck in the past. Um, and that's not really the case. You know, the point is to have this accurate telling of the past so that you don't make the same mistakes in the future. Mm, Femi, I would love to hear your response about the difference between talking about decolonization based on context, but also whether you think, is this about being stuck in the past? Yes, it is about being stuck in the past when you talk about decolonizing Africa right now. Uh, as I wrote in the book, you cannot decolonize where there's no colonialism. Okay, I'm actually, so I'm going to challenge you on that. I'm sorry, I'm going to jump in. So you, you talk about, in the book, you talk about, you reference Fanon actually, when you say that, you know, when the colonial world is overturned, that is the end of colonization. And that's kind of how you make the claim. But could you? Could we not argue? And 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 Dippo, if I am correct, this is kind of also what you're saying that even though formal colonialism may have ended, the impact of colonization and you know and what had happened from you know the Berlin Conference in the 1800s that doesn't just you know disappear because there's been formal independence. Well, no, I, I think the mistake people keep making is to think that colonialism was a lot more impactful in most parts of Africa than it really was, historically speaking. 
Dippo, what do you think? What do you think? I can't really think of anything more impactful on Africa than the formation of the 54 countries in the region. That it'd be colonialism defined modern Africa. When I say modern Africa, I'm talking about the time period from 1884 up until now. There's there's nothing that has been more impactful on the region than colonialism. They formed the modern states that we know of today. I, I, I can't think of anything. And it's not to say that, again, you know, Africans have no agency, have had, they've had no role in where countries are today. They certainly do. But everything starts with the formation of these modern states when we, when we talk about Africa from the Berlin um, Conference to today. The problem I have with that is precisely that you are just emphasizing what I am saying is not reality. Okay? These countries were put together. Okay? How they were put together is important. What has happened since they were put together is more important. Do we explain what has happened since they were put together by how they were put together? I don't think so. This is the whole point. Yes, they were put together. People love to make this point, you know, these are all artificial boundaries and all that. There are no natural countries in the world. Every country in the world is artificial. The whole of, you know, Palestine, Asia, what used to be called Asia Minor and all that, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Israel, Jordan, they are all put together by colonialists. You go to Asia, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, Sri Lanka. <laughs> Does anybody try to explain what is going on in all those places now as a result of how they were put together? I don't think so. I mean, Sami Sub would argue, you know, partition, for example, between Pakistan and India and, you know, and the Bangladesh, you know, conflict around Bangladesh as well. So on. like, I, I think a lot of people would say that that was part of the, the impact of colonialism. I mean, Dipo, would you like to push back on, on what Femi's saying at all? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably too, it's a bit too broad to just say that, you know, every country is an artificial country. I think how countries are formed, the, the direct impact, the violence or non-violence that, that may have occurred in the formation of that country, you know, whether people on the ground had any say over how their countries were formed the distance between independence and now in many countries, all these things play a part. And we, you know, we see constant instability around the world. And, and many of that, you know, comes from how nations were formed and that, that ability for, for countries to, to develop national identities and, and none more so than in Africa. I have no particular desire to, to blame all of Nigeria's problems on colonialism. You know, when I, when I look at a particular issue, you know, I, I look to the Nigerian government to solve it. Um, that shouldn't be divorced from the reality of the challenges that Nigeria have faced since independence to, to build a modern nation, one that is cohesive, one that has a sense of national pride and identity. And huge advancements have been made since 1960. And, you know, more progress, you know, will be made, you know, in the next, next 60, 70, 80 years. But we, we, we can't simply say that uh, colonialism didn't have an impact on the realities of many African countries. It, it had a huge impact and, and countries are, are facing the realities of those challenges today. When you look at the fact that 10% of all ethnic groups were broken up, you know, when you look at the fact that, you know, 30% of all borders are just straight lines and, 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 and the violence that occurred, that has real world impacts. And it's important to understand those impacts, if anything, to learn from that 
and not make those same mistakes in the future. Hi everyone, it's Connor Boyle here. If you don't already know, we've launched Intelligence Squared Premium. It's an exciting new way to take your Intelligence Squared experience to the next level so you can make the most informed decisions about the issues that matter in the company of the world's greatest minds and speakers. Crucially, it lets us produce even more amazing podcasts for you, as well as running some more live events and big debates. This is now available on all podcast players, including Spotify, for just $4.99 a month. Sign up now at iq2premium.supercast.com. That's IQ, the numeral two, premium.supercast.com, or see the link in the description. Thank you for all your support. Sammy, I'm curious about what your thoughts are on this, because you've said, look, many states are artificial, and even if they are artificial, we should just be able to, to kind of move forward. But how do how do you then propose people in countries deal with the implications post-independence of the artificialities of their countries and so on? You see, this is where I'm beginning to have problems, okay? And I hope that we are not talking across purposes. My point is that colonialism does not have an impact. My point is how much of that impact can we deploy as explanations for the lives of these countries beyond independence? Okay, so if that is the question, how do you discern the difference? What for you is the way that you discern the difference? First, again, we need to be very clear about terminologies. Something struck me as commentators have been talking from Britain about the passing of the Queen, okay? And the fact that Charles has to go to, as many commentators have put it, the four nations that make up the United Kingdom. That's very significant. When was the last time you had a British political scientist talk about nation building as the primary focus of British political science? Africans never talk about any other thing except nation building, as if that's a peculiar African thing. 30 years ago, I published a paper on Obafemi Awolowo federalism in Nigeria, where as part of the research, that's when I found this whole idea that nation states, where nation and state converge, are the extreme anomalies in the world. Most countries in the world are multinational states struggling, you know, to build a state over the many nations that populate them. Africa is not different. Asia is the same. And I just mentioned that the United Kingdom. Does anybody go around saying that, you know, we need to panel beat all the nationalities within the United Kingdom in order for us to have this, you know, British citizenship, you know, that is. Yes, citizenship is above the ethnicity, above the nationalities, and citizenship is a modern thing, and that is always singular, you know, over the space, you know, of all the countries that are federating, uh, in a sense, and that is what you cultivate. But in Africa, people give you the impression that you have to stop being Yoruba so that you can be a proper Nigerian. You know, you have to stop being Igbo so that you can be a proper Nigerian. And African political scientists, they follow James Coleman because they're always following people. Just take this, you know, and begin to ride with it as if African countries are any different. And they usually go back to 1884-85. Now, when you look at the reality on the ground, Nigeria fought a civil war to keep those fake borders. 
Portbia is now busy killing people, you know, in the name of French and English, to keep those borders. Okay? Ethiopia, that was even an imperialist power on its own, fought, you know, for a long time to keep Eritrea that was originally not a part of it. Sudan, you know, fought two battles, civil wars, you know, to keep those borders, eventually had to give up on them. Meanwhile, you look at all the countries in Africa, they have all run the gamut from capitalist in Kenya, you know, to socialist in Tanzania, and at a time in Ghana, to Marxist in Congo Brazzaville, you know, to mixed up or whatever it is. I mean, where is the colonial impact in all of this? Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. And Dipa, I'm going to get you to come in on this. So what I'm hearing from Femi is that we can't necessarily draw a causal line between colonialism and, and these current conflicts, these more modern conflicts. What is your take? Firstly, I should say paddle beating is a really great Nigerian I phrase. thought so, yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that, can I use that? Can I borrow that? <laughs> it's something I, I always love when I hear people mention paddle beaters. Um, I, I, I'm not, I, I think the, the question I'd have maybe for me is, is, is sort of why would we not want to recognize the direct impact that it has had without saying that it is, and it will always be an excuse for specific African governments who might be failing their nations. The, the impact is, is huge and it's also incredibly recent. And so do we put a time frame? Do we say 20 years after independence, 30 years, 50 years? You know, a, a, a state like Zimbabwe, where, you know, uh, you have the gained its independence, in, you know, later on in, in, in the 70s and in the 80s, you know, what impact do does colonialism have or should we allow to say colonialism has on Zimbabwe today? Um, you have many nation states in which its independence leaders are still alive and fighting for power. You know, that is an impact, you know, the divide and rule policies. Um, that were implemented, you know, that continues to have an impact. The dynamics at play at many civil wars and the animosity between ethnic groups, you know, that was a direct impact from colonialism and colonialism had an impact. The African countries met after independence to talk about um, redesigning the borders and they, and they decided that, you know, it wouldn't be in the continent's best interest to do that. You'd often have a new form of colonialism where the larger countries might decide to would have a big impact on just, you know, sweeping up nations around them and saying, you know, well, you know, we quite like the resources here, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll add that to, we'll add that to South Africa, we'll add that to Kenya, we'll add that to Nigeria. Um, and they decided that, you know, it, to go through periods of chaos, again, would not be a particularly smart thing to do. Um, all of this, and, and I think I'd understand Hermes' point a bit more if we're, you know, 200 years, 500 years, you know, we bring up the UK, it's safe to say the United Kingdom has had a little bit longer than most African countries to reckon with its uh, makeup, and and it's and you know it's something that they're still reckoning with, um, let alone the short period of time that African countries have had. So you know I I think fundamentally I'm I'm just not certain what harm is caused by recognizing that there is still, as a matter of just time, there's still a huge legacy of colonialism within these African countries um, who are certainly responsible for their own futures now. I, I think it's, it, it's just incredibly important. And, and for me, and the reason why I write the book is that for a lot of people across the world, 
they they look at the issues across Africa and, the, and without understanding the context in which many African countries were formed and the recency of uh, independence, that they look at Africans, they think, you know, oh, there's something inherently wrong with Africans, that the instability and, and the chaos and the, and the politics and, and in some places the poverty, you know, that's, that's just because, um, you know, Africans are not quite as civilized as the rest of the world. And without acknowledging the, the cards that these countries were dealt at independence, you know, it's, it's easy to push that false narrative rather than say, here's the reality of, of colonialism, here's the conflict and the violence and, and the pain that was caused by that. Here is the instability that these countries inherited at independence, which was in the 1960s within our parents' lifetimes. And here is what they're now trying to build from. These are the, these are the cracked foundations they're now trying to build states um, to build, you know, these states on. And, and I think for me, it's important because by ignoring the reality, we continue to push a, a lot of bigotry that, that comes from people seeing Africa as, you know, this one giant failed state. Femi, I'm going to, I'm going to turn to you to answer Dibbo's question, but also I suspect you may disagree because one of the things that you actually write is that you think decolonization has become harmful. Um, so would you like to expand on that and, and sort of respond to, to the narrative that Dipper was warning against? You know, again, let's be very, very clear, okay? Africa for me is not, for the most part, a unit of analysis. That's part of where things begin to go wrong. Okay, that's the first. The second, I was going to reference Adia Jaye's paper that people in the decolonizing industry really do need to go argue with and go back to that debate. Adia Jai's point, which I then expanded upon in the book, is that colonialism is an episode in African history. It's not a centerpiece or an epoch-making change in African history. And that contrary to what people want to argue, it's only when you make colonialism, which decolonization does, the pole for periodizing African history. And I call it a bastard periodization in the book, because that's what it is. So what, again, let's be very, very clear. So that's the reason there's no way I'm going to agree with you, Paul, and this is not for me a verbal argument. To say that colonialism has an impact it's not the same as saying colonialism impact is continuing, you know, as we speak. Okay? And when you say, how do you, you know, when do you say the impact ended and all that, I'm not sure that that's even a question that anybody can answer. Okay? Uh, again, as I wrote in the book, the United States never created an original civilization except for black people and native people. So they were very happy to continue what they got from the mother country. You know, there are still American musicologists who do not recognize American classical composers in the European tradition as we speak. But nobody calls this a new colonial country, you know, because of that. Is it because of the racial difference that, you know, we cannot say that? No, I think we need to get a grip, you know, on all this and be very, very conceptually sophisticated about what we're talking about. That's the first part. The second part is you look at different parts of Africa. They did not all come under the same kind of colonialism. 
There was settler colonialism in Kenya, in Algeria, in South Africa, Southern Africa. There was no settler colonialism in West Africa. The dynamics were not the same. And then when you look at colonialism in India and colonialism in Nigeria, they're not the same colonialism. This is what I wrote in the original book, you know, where I challenged the idea that modernity came with colonialism. And when Can you I just quickly ask you, Femi, because yes. you're, you're talking about being specific, can you tell me what you mean by modernity? Because I think this is a really interesting concept. It's like the, you know, modernity and colonialism and people saying that modernity came with and we therefore have to go back to some sort of pre-modern time. What do you mean by modernity in this context? Uh, modernity is the movement that, you know, began in Europe. People dated about the last quarter of the 15th century. It came before then, and it marked, you know, in the book I identified three core tenets of modernity. The principle of subjectivity, which sociologically we call individualism, okay? The centrality of reason, which overthrew revelation and authority, you know, as sources of knowledge. And the idea of progress, which is usually catch, uh, caught in the, in the sense of an open future, whereby the circumstances of your birth do not decide, you know, the passageways of your future. Mm -hmm. and, and just really quickly, Dippo, do you, would your argument be that colonialism brought modernity to Africa? If we're going to use that as a, you know, even though obviously Africa is not a country. Um, but what is, what do, what do you think of the relationship between colonialism and modernity? Because I think this is part of um, Femi's argument that, that these things are often conflated. I can, I can understand how, you know, much of, much of this can be conflated. And I think it comes down to people's individual definitions. I don't think that colonialism just brought one thing to the entire region. And in the book, I talk specifically about the differences in in sort of the, the, the settler colonialism and, and divide and rule and and the in the impact that that had in specific regions. So I, I don't think we can kind of just broadly say, you know, colonialism brought modernity to the region. You know, what I talk about fundamentally is that it is what we now know today as modern Africa was effectively an invention by the colonialists. And it's hard to, you know, if, if we say that, you know, oh, colonialism didn't have an impact, then without colonialism, none of us can say what modern Africa would look like. Nigeria would not exist. So what would exist in place of that? What would exist in place of, of Kenya? And what would be in South Africa? In every single region, you know, we, we can't, if we can't understand what would even exist in place of of what we have today and we can't picture it and we can't come to some agreement as to what would exist exactly today, then I think it's impossible to say that, you know, it didn't have a fundamental impact on the reality of the region today. But, you know, it, on that question on, on modernity, I think it, it's sort of a, a region by region thing. And I, I don't think that, you know, colonialism just brought some sort of broad concept of modernity into the region. I just think in terms of, you know, structurally and, uh, and in kind of the development of, mo of modern states, you know, colonialism had the greatest single impact of all the factors that, that we know of the region today. Okay, so we're almost out of time. So I've got just a couple questions to come back to both of you on. <laughs> go ahead. All right, go Femi. As a matter of record, historically, that is incorrect. What is incorrect? That 
Modern Africa is a Creation of Colonialism. There's a chapter in my former book where the Fanti got together in 1868 to write a liberal constitution for themselves. About the same time, the Egbag got together in Abiokuta, Nigeria to write a constitution for themselves. Okay. There were other experiments, you know. But they of... were not allowed to implement those constitutions. Oh, no, for me, That's the again, point. it's like, only it's... when you take the colonial agency to be the one that you use to do your explanation. And I am saying, what did the colonized make of all this? What did they do? And how did they understand themselves, you know, and what was being done to and with them? To bring it back to to bring it back to decolonization, though, Femi, I would argue that the thing that you just told us, uh, learning that is part of the process of decolonization. It is part of the process of taking colonialism out of the center. So, would that not be part of the process of decol? Like, is isn't that isn't that process helping African scholars and people who are writing in and on Africa? Uh, no, because uh, for me. Um... When I was writing that, I wasn't, I wasn't doing decolonizing. I was trying to do good scholarship and trying to show people, you know, because when you do good scholarship, you don't need all this artificial. So what do you call it? If you don't call it decolonizing, what do you oh, call it? It was just rewriting the history of philosophy in Africa. It was just rewriting, you know, uh, and making philosophy not something that somebody can claim that Europe owns and making modernity not something that people can claim, oh, that's a white thing, you know, that was imposed on us. This was Africa. our countries were imposed on us. I, I mean, that's, as a matter of fact, our, our, they were forced upon us. And it wasn't, it wasn't an agreement. We weren't invited to the Berlin Conference. And I understand if, you know, we signed our lives away and we agreed and we said, look, this seems like we, we see the plan that you guys have presented and we agree and let's try it out together. It was imposed on us violently by force. And we did not have a say in the shapes of our nations and, and the future of our country. You know, there were certain individuals who were used to help to help the colonialists implement their vision, but it, it wasn't. There was no widespread agreement that you know these fifty-four countries um, should be the basis for the future of the continent. It was something that was violently imposed, and, and certainly we had everything from large kingdoms to smaller. Uh, rural communities and, you know, urban centers and nomadic ethnic groups, you know, every, everything existed before that. And we were certainly, you know, across the region, advanced civilizations, politically, culturally, all those sort of existed. And then colonialism arrived and completely redrew the reality of the continent. And that's now what we now have to live with and face and move on into the future. And, you know, for me, it's not, it's not to blame every every ill on colonialism and say, you know, here's the reality of what occurred. Let's teach that, let's understand that, and let's use that to build a future for the region. Dippo and Femi, both of you talk about African Africa's agency and, and Africans' agency. Um, I'm curious about how you believe African nations and Africans can can regain that agency if you if you think it is currently lost, or perhaps you have a different perspective. Um, Femi, let me start with you. Uh, no, no, I don't think it's lost. I think uh, people, the colonizers are the ones, you know, who think that, and people just confirm that again. Um, what, what responsibility do Africans have for what they have done for the last 60 years in terms of rewriting 
redrawing their borders in terms of the choices that they made for political regimes, you know, in terms of how they live together. If you continue to believe that colonialism, divide and rule, explains, you know, some of the quote-unquote inter-ethnic conflicts that are still going, that means you really don't think much of African agency. And that's what I wrote in the book. Africans cannot have it both ways. It's either we are adults who made bad choices or we are permanent children whose will is always under the control of our colonizers. End of story. There's no midway between those two. So how do you propose that we, you know, as, as your book title says, take African agency seriously? Uh, Kenya just showed you again. In 2008, they had that election. Everything went all right. Almost 1,000 people were killed. Okay? They went before the ICC. They said ICC should come in because we don't trust our judiciary. In the aftermath of that, they rewrote their constitution, put in more safeguards, literally reformed the judiciary. When it happened in 2017, you know, Oginga went, you know, to court and all that, and he said, we have a court we can trust in now. The court returned the verdict and he said, we accept the verdict. Okay? This year again, that's exactly what has happened. And that is Kenyans choosing liberal representative democracy that decolonizers say is a Western trap, you know, it's a European, whatever it is, you know, and they are looking for some kind of, you know, African answer to how they're going to govern themselves. Senegal, Ghana, Zambia. I, I, I gave some examples in the book. So what, what are people talking about? I'm sorry. That game is a result of, you know, why people are still thinking that, oh, Africans are victims of, you know, for this. Kenya just gave you an example. Actually, I was going to write an article called Decolonizer Zero, Kenya Democracy One. <laughs> Dipper, what are your thoughts? How do you take African agency seriously? Uh, I, I, I think it's very important. I, I think that, there's, as I said earlier in this conversation, you know, when... There is an issue in Nigeria. I don't. I don't look to the West. I look to President Buhari and his government to fix it, and that's the reality across Nigeria at the moment. You know, the NSARS protesters weren't protesting against colonialism. They weren't protesting against the West. They protested the excesses of of their own government. And 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 the idea that there isn't a middle ground. You know, it just that surprises me. There there is a middle ground. I haven't lived with my parents for you know 20 years or so now but to say that you know my upbringing and childhood played no, absolutely no part in where i am today would be inaccurate I, but i also can't blame my parents for you know everything and the decisions that i make today as a 33 year old adult it's the same sort of nuance that should be part of this discussion when we talk about africa to say that you know colonialism had a huge had, you know, for me, I can say, you know, had the biggest impact on modern Africa today. That's not to argue that, you know, African countries should only look to the past. They certainly need to work out for themselves the forms of democracy they want, the forms of nationalism and patriotism, and, and different countries will go different paths. And I don't, you know, know many people, you know, in this other sort of scholars and writers who will say, you know, whatever you do, absolutely do not take up a form of democracy that is used by a Western country. You know, it's, it's to say, figure out for yourselves culturally what works best for you. And if you want to borrow from Western traditions, go ahead and do so, you know, but let that be your own choice. Colonialism took that choice away in 1884 and, and in the decades after that from African countries. 
now with independence, these countries have that agency back and have their choices back. And they certainly should take that opportunity to better their countries and their people. But I think it's important when we talk about, you know, history and when we have discussions about African countries that we introduce the context of colonialism, because without it, the current makeup of the continent simply wouldn't exist. Okay, so we're almost done. And for, and both of you have noted that this argument is very nuanced. Um, and it is it is one that is also very emotive because we're not talking about theory. We're talking about you know, people's current lived experiences. And so the last thing that I want to ask you both, and Femi, I'll start with you, is what is the one thing that you want, you know, we've had a broad-ranging nuanced conversation, but the one thing you'd like listeners to take away about the idea of decolonization. If there's one thing they take away. Uh, stop talking about decolonizing Africa. Great. All right, and Depo, what, you've got the last words. Uh, I want people to take away that this is a complicated conversation about context and nuance. Um, and multiple things can be true at the same time. You know, colonialism can be considered to have had the single greatest impact on the continent, but also leaders across the region. It now falls on them and the responsibility is all on them to to build their nations in a way that best benefits their people. Thank you both so much, Olufemi and Dippo. That was Olufemi Tewu, author of Against Decolonization, Taking African Agency Seriously, available now from Hearst. And Dippo Fellian, author of Africa is Not a Country, Breaking Stereotypes of Modern Africa, available now from Penguin. I've read them both. They're fantastic. You've heard them here. Uh, they're both spirited, thoughtful, sharp, intelligent writers and speakers. And so I highly encourage you to read their books. I've been Yasmin Abdel-Majid. You've been listening to The Sunday Debate on Intelligence Squared. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you, Yasmin. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Just a reminder, you can support Intelligence Squared and get even closer to the world's most brilliant minds by signing up for Intelligence Squared Premium. For more information, go to iq2premium.supercast.com or see the link in the description. Thank you for your support.